I'm James Taylor. I'm from Commonwealth Concert Opera. And this room sounds great. This is not a field for the faint of heart. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, shakes a spear, the Earl of Oxford. Yes, sir. I like to talk. Um, probably a little too much. Um, my wife would say that. <laughs> everybody out there in the world of podcasting. Thank you so much for strapping on the headphones for listening to us while you're, let's see, washing your car, planting your garden, whatever you might do while you are listening to podcasts. I am Reese Williams, and you're listening to This Room Sounds Great. Joining me right now is Mr. James Taylor of the Commonwealth Concert Opera. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm quite well, and yourself? Wonderful. You are going to be performing on Shaco in a couple of weeks, and I was trying to describe the format because I'm going to play narrator that evening. Yes, you are. And I was trying to describe to someone... With that, with that beautiful voice, why would we <laughs> not want to do that? Go on. <laughs> yes. Um, and what is this format where it's not the full opera. Mm. As the narrator, I'm, I'm telling the story. I'm setting up the scene in yes. very, very brief bits. And then the professionals come out and they're going to belt it out and regale us with their talent. But when I was describing this to someone else, they said, wait, so the play isn't actually happening. You're literally just going to use words to tell us what is supposed to be happening. So what is this format called? It's called opera. That's, that's the conundrum here. Opera is primarily about the music and the voice. And we are telling a story. It's in French. We do have... I'm not narrating in French, No, am I? you're okay. not. No, no, no. But you will be narrating in English so that you tell the story about what happens here. But most people kind of tend to forget that in the 50s and the 40s, and sometimes in the 60s, you had uh, radio broadcasts. You still have them from the Metropolitan Opera, but this medium works well. Yeah, it would be great to have, uh, you know, a nice size auditorium or opera house where you can put on a really nice set and, you know, 50, 60, 70 piece orchestra in a pit. But it still all comes down to one thing. You're telling a story and we're here to hear the voice. This opera is the same and yet different than its sister theater and musical theater. It's going to hurt here because I'm going to use my hands. So the intensity level, the emotional intensity level for, uh, say, theater is is high because the idea is to really get in touch with your emotions and you know deal with that circumstance emotionally for everybody to see. The problem with opera is that we're taking the dial and we're just putting it like that on a really past huge, 11. yeah, no, past 25 <laughs> because of the music. And so everything is hypersensitive within it. Number one, the way the instrument works, putting stress, putting pressure on the instrument will not allow you to sing this repertoire or sing this music. One of my students just got through recording with Taylor Swift and we were talking about how limited the vocal range is that she uses in her music, which is great. I mean, that's one of the beautiful aspects about popular music, country music. But in opera, you have to basically quadruple that because we want to hear you from the bottom of your instrument to the very tip top of it. And that's honestly, when you're thinking about the tip top of an instrument of a human voice, it's a little bit of what describes a bit of a yell, even though it's not a controlled yell, a controlled scream. And so high notes are always about something incredibly emotional happening. I would say whenever I think of plays or musicians, they, mm -hmm. they can be very engaging, yes. but opera is gripping. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, 
you're talking to a Shakespeareophile here. I absolutely, since I was 10 years old, have been into Shakespeare. And Shakespeare is the only thing that comes close to any of these plays. If you were to go into the operas of Vanity, there's a few that he would take from these novels that we would today in our sensitivity, we go, that's just stupid. But when you look at the way they're written and put together, there's things going on off stage that set the coming scene like you would find in Shakespeare. But then at the same time, the drama that is being played out is as intense as what's going on in Hamlet or in King Lear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is the Richmond opera scene like comparatively to maybe cities or places in the world like Austria where it's, you know, known for it? it well, if, if we if we go that way, I would say it's non-existent. Okay. Well, what does little old Richmond do for us? <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's one of the reasons. Uh, there are several reasons why I wanted to get something like this started. Richmond has some amazing young talent around here and some older talent like myself. There are at least seven professionals that live around here that, you know, a few still kind of sing out a bit. And most are kind of just basically retired or kind of like me that teach and then go out and gig. They need to have an opportunity to do a few things in a good, safe space. And at the same time, there are plenty of young men and women that are coming out of universities in this area that have degrees in music that once they're through, it's what do I do with this? And this is not a field for the faint of heart. Um, <laughs> let me put it to you that way. The only guys that I've ever noticed coming into this field and actually succeeding were actually football players. And I mean that because they understood the whole idea of the discipline behind it. And it's a different discipline. That is not to say, again, that is not to say that uh, people in theater don't have a discipline. People that do uh, popular music do not have a discipline, but it's a different discipline because the way that we train our instruments is a daily ordeal. <laughs> so, so for some of us, it's, it's a daily task. It's getting to know yourself and then building a confidence that no matter what happens, how I feel, what's going on that day, I'm confident about what will come out of my body. I'm confident enough that my mind is not going to tell me that I can't do this when my body is trying to tell me, oh yeah, you can, so that I don't have the clash. So, you know, that's why, you know, like the little redneck here I am from East Alabama got so into this. I don't even know what to call me. Everybody thought I was nuts when I was a boy because I was six years old. I was reading Tolkien. My mother and dad thought that was nuts. Uh, and so did my Baptist minister. And then I got into Shakespeare. And, Billy uh, Shakes. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Shakes a Spear, the Earl of Oxford. Yes, sir. I'm one of those guys. <laughs> and so it took me to a different place because... It wasn't something that you got into where I come from. Football is God, and then there's Jesus, and then there's family. And all of a sudden, this kind of helped redirect my thoughts and where, you know, who I was as a, as a young man and, and what I became as a man. And this music touches everybody. You can't escape it because it's on commercials. It's in TV shows. It's in movies. You know, I remember when Excalibur came out, and— the movie Excalibur is one of my favorite films, and it was such a huge deal when it came out. It was like it was a big blockbuster, and what was amazing was all the music is Carl Orff's Carmina Burana, which is one of the greatest orchestral pieces out there for chorus and soloists and orchestra. And the orchestra is about 110 pieces. It's just about you know monks 
writing about life, love, sex, drugs, booze, spring. It, and All it's, relatable yeah. activities. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. And so, but that music doesn't leave you. So you were talking about how you guys are, you know, it's a different way of life, you know, using mm. your voice as an instrument. What is sort of the general character and disposition of opera performers? Because mm. I haven't been around many, but they're typically on the serious side. I don't know if they cut loose, you know, behind oh, yeah. the scenes, <laughs> but they're typically, of course, they have great posture. And yep. I think it lends itself to this perception, you know, that their demeanor is maybe a little stuffy or oh. so. Yeah, enlighten us. Well, I, I would hope that um, most guys and girls in this business that I know of are very much like me. Goofballs. Right, yeah, goofballs. And I like to talk probably a little too much. My wife would say that. <laughs> we understand that our voices have a limited time of use during the day, unlike, say, a person who plays a, a guitar or a person who plays a violin. The instrument will get to the point of saying, okay, enough's enough because there are cartilage and there's muscles in here that just say, okay, we've been worked enough. And most people understand that from working a job nine to five and talking on a phone. And by a certain time, you start really talking really low and you're, you're, you're tired. I'm a voice actor. It happens. Yeah. I can't, yeah, all the time. I, I can't do pieces after, yeah, four or five o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, me, it, it, to give you an idea about singers, singers are very most people that I know, I'm very conscious about. I don't start singing until 11 o'clock in the morning. I don't like to, although I have a couple of students who need to do something early. And so I get up earlier than I should, nor well, I normally would, and uh, get myself prepared to do that. To give you an idea of what we are like, we don't do much alcohol until we have a night off. But the idea of like doing alcohol or going crazy on eating or actually smoking a cigar. And, I, and I'll tell you, I've had more cigars. And most of the times it's from Sopranos that I've been working with that are like, we're so excited and we've had a success. Uh, Talise Trevine, we were doing a, a, a Lucia di Lama war down in um, Raleigh. And <laughs> she <laughs> got Cuban cigars and I had never really smoked and and she was expecting me I had a it, it was like a eight is that about eight inches mm -hmm. it was a big long uh cigar and she said half tonight half on a closing night so yeah we have a really great time it's about life you know, yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> um this is a celebration of life because we're taking some amazing music and then we're taking people that you know, characters that are real people. The character that I'm singing in this is, he's hes a bit of an aristocrat who has, if you were to read the novello, he's killed a man. And so he leaves the Basque country and he comes to Seville, which is in the south of Spain. And if you know anything about the way that society worked, he's aristocracy. He is of the blood, as the Spanish would say. But he comes down to Seville and he takes a position as a corporal. Well, that's way beneath him the way the class structure works and you know there's a you have this guy that everybody thinks is just a you know he's a really nice and i always have an issue with it because i play him quite differently i play him a little bit like he's a sociopath or you know and has met his match in this one woman and that's the joy of this is being able to to take a very complex character like this you're given some amazing music that goes along with it and then find something different to do with him than what everybody else does. The interpretation. Well, yeah, that, that's, absolutely. I feel like that's the role as the artist. Absolutely. So when you're not listening 
sleeping, eating, breathing opera, what do you like to listen to? And what do you do to keep yourself, you know, stimulated in other ways? Oh, that, that's easy. I love Celtic music. I am oh, a, fun. The Chieftains, uh, the Battlefield Band, those are two of my favorites. A couple of really good bands that play out at Raro Times, mm-hmm. out on out mm-hmm. on Patterson, Patterson, I believe, yeah. that I haven't been able to go see because I've been sequestered in my house for the year and a half. They're so really, what's been going on? Uh, what's up with that? Uh, uh, something called COVID nineteen. Oh, yeah, right. okay. <laughs> let me make a note. I'm going to look that up later. <laughs> so I love that. I am. I like all types of music and all forms of music. Do you play an actual instrument besides your... I, not I that play, your voice isn't an actual I, instrument. I, I, Do you play no. an instrument outside of your body? <laughs> I came up playing a saxophone, so mm-hmm. I can play an alto saxophone, a soprano saxophone, a tenor saxophone, and a baritone saxophone. I've also learned how to play the cello. I don't play it as well as I wish I did. I play piano just a wee bit. Not that great because my left hand is not that coordinated. And I never understood why. <laughs> my brain my brain and my left hand, when it comes to looking at the piano, look at each other like, I don't know what you want, but we're not doing it. It's pretty far away. I'm not sure if I can send the signal way down there. <laughs> I can't be bothered. <laughs> I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered. <laughs> but to tell you a lot of the music that really has impacted my life was, I remember going in, I think it was December between my sixth and seventh grade year, and I went to see Star Wars. Like everybody else. And so I remember waiting in line two hours to get a ticket because it was around the building. And back then you didn't have these multiplexes, right? There was one theater that was showing it. And um, I didn't know at the time I was going to like the movie, but I ended up not paying that much attention to what was going on on screen except what was coming through the speakers. And the music of John Williams, I think you'd find with a lot of us in this business, affected us especially my generation, maybe more than Mozart and a few other, you know, Brahms, Tchaikovsky. Um, And I love those guys. I absolutely love those guys. And then you listen to it and you're like, okay. And then you can trace the ideas back that he's presenting to us to Wagner. And then that has helped really stoke my love of Richard Wagner a lot. Where is opera most appreciated? Let's say we can start with the States and then we can expand the to the states? world. Yeah, we're in the States. What's a good opera city in the States? Manhattan. Mm-hmm. New York City's really good. Kind of. I think the one thing about this is everybody, you know, doesn't really understand how people look at it here. I really love all the forms of entertainment that we find, but people tend to look at opera through a different lens in this country and sometimes in the UK and in Australia. I don't know what it is about us English-speaking people. Yeah. Well, even in preparing, yeah. you know, I have my list and I ran a few questions by mm-hmm. you and I said, ah, normally when I'm in- interviewing a band or a musician and mm-hmm. then you made the great statement of, yeah, I can answer those questions as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're right. It is in its own category. Well, I mean, I, I grew up in the state of Hank Williams and Hank Williams Jr., right? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, when I was a boy, Elvis was the big thing. I was, you know, I'm a 65 baby, about to be 56 next week, a week from today, actually. And I remember everything was about Elvis. And I was, I'm going to say this. It was an amazing voice. I mean that. And then I started running and I would hear these other people because every once in a while, my mother loved opera and I'd hear it. And I'm like, wow, that's, wow, that's manly. That's really, wow. Okay. But over here... I think most people look at it from the standpoint of 
economy mm. than they do that it's a part of who they are. Because if, when you ask me that question, the first thing I'll say to you is, yes, Italy is the greatest country for that. And Italy and then Germany and the German-speaking countries. I have seven students who live and work in opera theaters in Germany. And they absolutely love it. They're all University of Virginia grads. Right. And um, they're absolutely having a time of their lives. And you know what's funny is the theaters have been paying their wages to them for the past year, even though the theaters have not been active. It's amazing to see how other countries value their people. I'll leave it at that because it's That's a not, whole different podcast. That's sir. a whole different podcast. <laughs> and and uh, Germany totally does. So in Germany, let's give you an, an example. In Germany, a city this size would probably have one to two theaters like we have at the Carpenter Center. The Carpenter Center would have an, the orchestra. Everything would be based around the budget of the orchestra. And then you would have an ensemble and a, a choir for the opera section. Then you would have a ballet, and then you would have what they call Schauspieler, which are actors. And so they're all housed in that theater, whether it is a Landesteater, which is like a little town, or a Staatsoper, which is a state run, or a couple other big ones. And so these people, whether they are American, whether they're Korean or Asian or African or, oh, wow, what a blow your way, are the Indians and those folks from the Middle East that are within this and have done the study that are a part of those communities are considered civic employees. Right. And they're considered a part of that community because the Opera House has been a big Focal point of these cities, Berlin to Leipzig to Eisenach, you know, yeah, Eisenach. Which is a really, you know, the big places that Bach uh, lived and, and worked. And then you'd be surprised at the Asians that absolutely, I love this. The One of the best stories I have is doing a recital tour of uh, Singapore and Malaysia about, what was it, 2006? I took my wife over. Malaysia is a dominant. Muslim country. And I was asked to come to three schools and meet with the kids. And these kids, they looked at me like I was some space alien for the longest time. And then they heard me singing. It just changed. There are very strict rules about how you interact with these young people. You know, and, and for a person like me who is a, a Trinitarian Christian, that was, you know, it was all about just love, just enjoy this. And these kids became so open for it. You know, you, you know, cause all the girls have to run around with hijabs on. Mm-hmm. They, they understand that they're subjugated to the back and that the boys come first, but then something changed in the midst of it. And it was because of, I believe the music oh, I love and, stories and music like brings everybody together, mm-hmm. you know, and cause once again, one thing that makes star Wars so great, all three of the first films is the majestic score. And no matter what you think about the other six, the one thing that always ties those films together is that score. The genius. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I will say Americans look at it as a novelty in a way. And that's what we're trying to help change here by changing the culture of singing in this city, in this region. Commonwealth Concert Opera is about Virginia artists. And maybe D.C. I'll kind of be nice to D.C. too, in that we are looking for people that are our people, you know, and that we're going to give our people an opportunity that they deserve. People need a, a real opportunity to go, what is this like? What did I train to do? How do I do it? 
it doesn't have to be on a stage with tons of makeup no. and everything else because the biggest thing that comes into the to the whole thing is I got on stage, I used my voice to act this thing out and to actually see can I sing it. Mm-hmm. And you won't believe how that changes somebody from the inside out. Oh, I imagine it does. Classical Revolution RVA it yes. sort of has that, you know, wanting to bring an often, I don't even want to say misunderstood, but just a genre that isn't mainstream. Oh, yes, very true. To the mainstream. Even though that maybe 100 years ago when some of these things are being done, they are mainstream. Mm-hmm. But it's also the other side, which is people look at it, well, this is for rich people. Like I told you, I come from a little town in Heflin, Alabama. It's it's as big as this room, mm-hmm. and there are more cows than our people. But people look at me very weirdly because, well, you're one of the educated. And when I go, well, yeah, but I'm just like you. Yeah, but you sing this highfalutin music that I don't get. And I go, have you ever heard it? One of my best friends, he does country western gospel. And he's always blown away that I come and I listen to it when I'm back home. And I listen to him and I ask him questions. But he won't hear my stuff. He, won't, he doesn't want to hear the stuff that I do. And, yeah. and, and you start to understand there's a little bit of intimidation about it. And I'm like, you don't need to be intimidated by this. To me, the, it's just different. You, and understanding that is, is key to what anything. Do yeah. you think that it just moves fewer people? people or do you think if people listen to it they no. can find that it moves them you yeah. know, I think, yes. I think if yes. you're raised with certain genres or you're drawn to certain genres the ones that you don't like you just it does nothing for you um, and so yeah I wonder if it's just a case of being exposed I think it's a part of that if you go on YouTube you'll always see these videos that say man hears Pavarotti for the first time mm-hmm. or woman hears Pavarotti for the first time and watching the visceral reaction when you watch an amazing singer like Pavarotti go up for the end with a big binat and hold it and you just watch these people go absolutely <laughs> nuts over that sound because that is the basis the deep core of what humanity is you know what I mean there's a reason when you listen to Willie Nelson, you know, okay, not a great singer. I don't care, but right. they're, they're, you know, I, the stories I always remember about him is he writes his songs his way and he performs them his way and they're very connected to him. This is the same thing here. And that visceral moment of, ah, I'm going to win. I will win because he's endured these three riddles because he's after this gorgeous woman. And that if he answers them, he gets to marry her. And that if he misses it, they're going to cut his head off. And he answers them, all three, all three, bam, bam, bam. Nobody's ever done it. And then he says, I'll tell you what, I'll let you get out of this if you can tell me by morning my name. <sighs> and so this whole aria is that everybody's running through Peking uh, or, or Beijing today, and they're trying to figure out his name. She's got every citizen trying to figure out the name, every peasant. And he, he just says... I will win. I will oh, win. And, and, and that's what makes that climax at the end so amazing. The victory. Yeah. What was the very first piece of music you ever purchased for yourself? And what format was it? Oh, my gosh. Was it Elvis or was... No. You, no. It was Saturday Night Fever, the, the soundtrack. It was on a, uh, an 8-track. Yes. I had it on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, and it was good. I was always amazed by the Bee Gees. You know, staying alive, staying alive. That is a falsetto unlike anything <laughs> I, I think anybody has until this day. And you can't find people that understand that. If you're me, it had a huge effect on me because I started out as a baritone and then I moved up to a tenor and it took me a while to figure out, oh yeah, that's okay. That's a part of your horn. 
That's the part of your voice. That's being a man. And that, you know, it's being a woman, understanding that that's the light edge. That needs to be in your sound. That's what connects the bottom to the top. That's the whole idea. And that top, like, you know, one of the things I always say to students is I use theology and I always talk about the creation. And in the first chapter of John, where John says, you know, the light permeates the darkness and the darkness has no clue. That's the whole idea of the light edge is coming down into the dark and hooking up with it. And it makes one, you know, and then you can, when you work with any singer like Josh Groban, Josh Groban was taught by a buddy of mine, Seth Riggs out in, in, in Los Angeles. And Josh can sing. Andrea Bocelli, that guy does it right. It's not a very big instrument, but who cares? He does it right, you know, and I get excited by that. Uh, yeah, Saturday Night Live. Uh, Saturday Night Live. Sorry to do that. Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Which is a lovely show. Yeah, it's a great itself. show. It really excited me. But I think the biggest thing I did was when I saw the Star Wars was I got as much as I could. And at that time, you couldn't get that much. And then uh, Casey Kasem had the the top 40 every week. And that music made at least the top five for several weeks. And I would wait. I would wait to hear that because nobody in Alabama is playing it. Although, I'm going to be honest with you, I love Foreigner. I am still a huge Queen fan. The Police. Talk about a range. Yeah, Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Oh. He is so underrated, I think. No, he totally is. Understanding that we're like you. We're no different. It's just that, that those of us that do this are just going to a different place with it because opera is something that there's American composers Moby Dick done by my mother opera house uh, San Francisco opera about three years ago that my friend Talese was in it's a very good piece so Jack also did a piece uh, off the the book of Dead Man Walking that has had a lot of play in Europe because they get blown away that piece itself knocks them for a loop many of my friends have seen that piece come back saying, you guys are really sick. And it, it should be a piece that helps us look at ourselves. But you know, it's still something that goes on today. It's not just the French. It's not just German. It's not just Italian. It's not just Czech. It's American and it's English. And, and it's all about our experiences. Mm-hmm. It's about the human experience. That is true. Mm. Well, let's give everybody a little taste of what opera really sounds like set up the piece for us that we're going to listen to? Oh, this is called Habanera. And this is the first moment that we get to meet Carmen. And she basically, I wish I could go through the French totally for you, but I can't. It's l'amour est un oiseau rebelle. Love is a rebel. To give you an idea of Carmen, Carmen's probably the least complex character in this piece because Carmen is the only person that knows who she is. And what she wants. That's the thing about Carmen. She knows who she is. She knows what she wants. She goes and gets it. And when she's done, she's done. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, most She's pe- a modern gal. She is the quintessential modern gal. I will agree with that. I love it. Well, let's take a listen. Let's see. 
Well, I for one cannot wait to be a part of the performance. This is Thank so exciting. I, this is the first podcast episode we've done where I will be a part of the performance instead of merely I love that. in the audience. Yeah. That's really when, cool. When I was putting this together, when I told Carlos about this, my first opportunity to sing in New York City was doing the baritone, the bass role in this, which was uh, Escamillo, the Toreador. And I need to let our audience yeah. know that James has sent me an audio file with all of these pronunciations so yeah. that I can get familiar <laughs> with them in the next two weeks. So. Yeah, your French and Spanish, they kind of go together like that. Yes. But when you come into New York City, unless you come in through a certain programs, uh, you're going to be like every other actor and every other artist in there. You're going to have to find your way through because the Met's not going to hire you because you don't have the credits. So Martin and Janet Bookspan, which a lot of people will know who that is, and Martin was a premier musician and writer, they hired me to sing this down in the West 4th district of the village. And um, it was a lunchtime series. And he wrote a narration for it. And he did it. He did it himself, which nobody else could do. (laughs) It was one of those marvelous moments where the redneck, he would talk with me all the time. He was the most amazing, caring man and open person. He share all this stuff with me that I would go, oh, wow, this is so cool, you know? And his wife was conducting and playing, and there were many working with City Opera that were working with the Met that would come down and want to do this. And several really good people came to listen to it. And the one thing about Janet and Martin is they cared about music and they cared about young artists. That's why we do this. You know, if somebody were to ask me, what's the fruit that's coming from you? I hope this is a part of it because we care about the the young people that we put together for this. There are two of us in this show that are what I would call seasoned performers. James Lynn, who is our Escamillo. Now, James did what a lot of guys do. He had a wife and they started having kids like I did. And then he said, I think I'm going to go home and just work. And that is honest and that is a beautiful thing. And he was singing all over the Midwest and back toward the East. And then there's me. I've sung this role about 15 times. I love this role. I love this role because I get to yell at a woman for, <laughs> for, for, about, you know, for, for, for at least two acts. You're just yelling at her. And then she abuses you too. And, and um, I've enjoyed this because it sets me up for the Wagnerian stuff that I love to do, especially the last two acts. But we have a young lady named Hannah Manieli, who you've is my student. Yeah, times. you've had her here a few She's times. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really blessed to have I have three of my students in here. Hannah, who is the Carmen. The Frasquita, which is a smaller role, is Kristen Barney. And then the Mercedes is Whitney Martin, who's another student of mine. And then we're really blessed to have a young lady named Brittany Michelson Mulkey, who is a wife of a local doctor here in town that we are going to be losing to Texas in the summer. Yeah, rats, I totally agree, because when you hear her, you're going to just love it. And then there's two young men who are VCU grads, Evan Heiter, who is a remendado tenor, and Alan Chavez, who is a beautiful baritone, uh, who is our Morales and Dan Cairo. And when I put this together, sitting down and thinking about cast, because I didn't go do auditions, I just... You got to pick. Yeah, well, yeah I got to pick. It may sound a little unfair, but I had a, a certain thing in my head. As you do this, you want to, you definitely want to give people an opportunity, but you also have to go, I need people that are going to be able to walk in and get it together. And these young men and women are amazing. They're amazing. They just put a smile on my face. Every Aww. every Tuesday night we're together because they're just so good. And then we have a fantastic pianist, Christine Lomack. She's out in the uh, just past Short Pump, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, Christopher Swanson is our conductor, which is great. 
somebody says, well, you're doing it with piano and blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah, you need somebody that can keep time for us so we know where the heck we're going because this music is not easy and it's it's kind of <laughs> complex in some spots. And Chris is a professor at a tenor in his own right down at uh, Longwood University. Okay. So everybody, like I said, everybody is local. And that really, in a nutshell, was what this art form you know, was supposed to be. And the one thing to always say to you is this. Quit looking at it as a star thing. Get over this Hollywood garbage and the celebrity stuff. When you, everybody asks me about this stuff, I go, that's America. America's about celebrity. America's about, ooh, you're a star. Ooh, I'd love to have the kind of job you have. Understand that all these young people work a job during the day, and they're doing this. It's a lot. You know, like, guess like, like everybody else. I was going to yeah. say, just like Shaco Sessions yes, Live and like the Shaco- podcast, this room sounds great. We Absolutely. all do this out of the goodness of our hearts and our passion Absolutely. and our love for it. Absolutely. And that passion will come through. It comes through. Mm-hmm. It comes through. I remember when we came here, we did the uh, the concert on the 8th in December. Mm-hmm. And you were telling me about the emojis and whatnot. And I was singing Notung from uh, Siegfried, which is you know, all about getting the bellows to work and creating the fire and I remember saying yeah it's, this is time for your fireballs now <laughs> and I want everybody to have that same kind of situation it may kind of seem a little formal but that's because we want it to run smoothly but we want you to understand and feel intimate with it that's the problem with this sometimes is you think because it's behind a curtain and when the curtain opens there's a proscenium and there's an orchestra in between but the whole idea of the voice the human voice is to go beyond that and encapsulate you, put its arms around you and pull you into us. You're going to make it approachable. Yeah. That's that's what that's I think because is it is. Yeah. Incredible about the ensemble. I look forward to making you guys smile as well and smiling with you when you you're here do. on a Tuesday. Yeah, you 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 I were a no wait. brainer, I have to tell you. You I were a no because <laughs> I kept thinking about, you know, as I write this, I don't want to do it. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to do it. And I, I I kept thinking, you know, I just remember every time I've been down here and I've listened to you that voice is great, perfect for this, because you've got the right idea of how the speaking voice should work. And you'll tell a story. And that's what we're trying to do. I cannot wait. So I'm just happy as punch to have you on the, on the team. <laughs> Thank you. Where can people go for more information? I think it's capitaloperarichmond.com, too. So Yeah, so it's capitaloperarichmond.com. Yeah, and then there's commonwealthconcertopera.com. Thank you so much for coming down. We appreciate My it. My pleasure. We'll Thank you, you for having weeks. me. You Thank betcha. you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like us, follow us, and subscribe to us on all the usual suspects. And also be sure to tune in every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. to Shaco Sessions Live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. That's a wrap.